Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. Next up, we have host of Jamel Hills Unbothered, writer for The Atlantic, former co-anchor on ESPN, and author, Jamel Hill. Coming up, I talked to Jamel about growing up in a household around substance abuse, where she gets her passion for defending our hometown, Detroit, and what it was like early in her career, earning the respect of not only the fans and her colleagues, but the players themselves. Up next, Jamel Hill. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. You know the rules. Download the podcast. Leave a five-star rating. Refer a family member, a sibling, a coworker, a friend. Make sure they're absorbing this good old-fashioned soul food. Like this week's theme, The View from the Top. On this show, I talk a lot about the journey to success and the lessons that are so very important to hold on to along the way. But I ask the question, what do you do when you get to the top? When you finally achieve your goal, you become successful. Do you throw away your value system? Definitely not. As a matter of fact, it's even more important to try to be a role model when you're at the top of your game. I try my very best to be an example to others in my community in a lot of ways. By talking about tough topics on my shows, by standing up for myself, culture, and my people. And you know what else? Even admitting when I'm wrong. I try to do it with humility, grace, and most of all, respect. Because guess what? No matter how much we achieve or how many awards we get, we're still all human, including me. And it's absolutely possible to be at the top of your success and also be a work in progress. My next guest knows all about being the realest version of yourself. Jamel Hill is not only one of the most notable voices in multimedia, she's actually my friend. As a matter of fact, her husband and I attended the same high school. Coming up, I talked to Jamel about navigating the media landscape as a black woman, her top five favorite books, and how someone can start the process of breaking generational curses. Up next, Jamel Hill. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York 
Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. This week's episode is like a good old-fashioned barbecue in the 313, because my next guest is family. You may know her because she's a journalist for The Atlantic, worked at ESPN. She's a host. She's one of the most respected voices in sports and entertainment. She's also the host of the very popular Spotify exclusive podcast, Jamel Hill is Unbothered. Her new memoir, Uphill, I Have a Copy, is out right now. And in it, she talks about her career, her life growing up in Detroit, and breaking her family cycles of intergenerational trauma. It is my honor to welcome the talented Jamel Hill to the show. What up, though? <laughs> what up, though? Thank you for such a warm, wonderful um, welcome. It must be the Good Timing Award on my part, because, of course, I'm on with you now, Jalen, a couple days after your alma mater just absolutely kicked yes. mine. Yes. <laughs> we caught the beat yes. down. We caught one. Yes, we're going to talk about that. And as I mentioned, I love you. I appreciate you. I'm so grateful for all that you do for yourself, that you do for the city. And I'm going to ask questions that you know I know the answer to. But I got to ask the questions for people <laughs> who are just getting to know you for the first time. So I want to start off by saying your memoir, Congratulations, is out right now. And it talks a lot about growing up in our hometown of Detroit and being on welfare by your, with your single mom who struggled with substance abuse. Give me a snapshot of what that was like for you as a child. Well, and I like to think anybody who's kind of been in a similar situation, they can relate to some of this. But, you know, among the difficult parts about navigating uh, your parents' substance abuse, because um, both my parents are recovering addicts. It's just that my father got cleaner much um, uh, earlier than my mother. They weren't together. And when he was going through his struggles, he was kind of in and out. And so we were a bit estranged. And my mother's drug abuse was very much engineered and stoked by the fact that she was a sexual abuse survivor. She was molested as a child from ages four to 11. Mm -hmm. She suffered a violent rape uh, when I was five or six years old. And all of that, um, she had a failing marriage as well that was mixed in there. And all of that um, really drove her to self-medicate. And for me, it was not easy to understand. And it wasn't until we moved to Joy Road. I lived on Joy Road in Lauder um, on the city's west side. And, you know, not a great, not a great neighborhood at all. And particularly not that apartment complex that we lived in, um, which, you know, was very, um, you know, I mean, it was it was just dangerous. I mean, you know how the city was. But the thing is, as you know, Jalen, is that when you grow up, in that you don't even realize how dangerous it Correct. is. Correct. Yes. Like, yes. You leave and you're just like, oh, that was really not normal. Mm -hmm. So of course you you know this is the the start of the crack era. Okay. And so we're talking about mid 80s. And one particular incident that I write about in the book, when you asking me a snapshot, I'll use this as an example. But the woman next door who lived next door to us in this apartment got murdered. 
Mm. And my mother was already suffering from a very severe form of PTSD that was brought on by the the violent rape that she suffered. And of course, then nobody knew about what PTSD was. People weren't using those terms. And, you know, mental health had like a huge stigma in our community. And, you know, growing up on welfare, um, being on and off welfare, we didn't have access to those services anyway, Mm -hmm. uh, even regardless of the stigma. So my mother was very fearful, even though she was raped thousands of miles away in Houston, Texas, that she had this very real fear that her rapist would one day find her. And if not that particular rapist, it would be somebody else. And she had been abused so much in her life. And so when this mother, or so when this woman that's next door to us, our, our neighbor gets murdered, it triggered so much. My mother, her drug of choice was always painkillers. But on this particular um, night, when after finding that out, my mother decided to smoke some crack. Mm. And she, what she did was she showed me what the crack looked like before she smoked it. I never saw her smoke it, but Mm. she showed it to me and told me at that moment that she never wanted me to have any involvement with it. She wanted me to know what it looked like so that if anyone ever approached me with it, then I would know to say no. Now I know that might sound like a very bizarre and also counterproductive argument but it obviously is staying in my mind. I was never tempted to do anything mm-hmm. um, that serious, but she was one of those parents. And maybe this is generational and, and real old school that definitely had the mentality of do as I say, not as I do. As I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, you know, when you see somebody going through that trauma, the night terrors my mother would have and other things are just me in general, not knowing what mood she was going to be in not knowing what I was going to come home to sometimes from school or when she would pick me up from practice when I was playing softball or something else. It's just a lot because you feel like you're, you're scared all the time and you're also walking on eggshells as well. So, um, you know, because of that, I think um, I learned to hold a lot of stuff in because I felt like I had to be strong and resilient. And sometimes I had to be the adult. Um, And so I think as a re- I picked up a lot of responses that were ingrained in me that I've been trying to lose as an adult, you know, for many, many years. So it, it certainly wasn't easy, but it was a very complicated situation to grow up in because uh, despite all those circumstances, my mother and my grandmother, um, all the adults that were central parts that, that played central roles in my life, regardless of what shape they were in or what circumstances we were facing, they never let me use that as an excuse not to go to school, not to get good grades, not to take care of my responsibilities. They want it better for me. And I think because of that, that's the reason I want it better for myself. Wow. Oh, man. I respect and admire you so much. I have so many follow up questions. Um, one of the things you mentioned as it related to growing up on Joy Road and Lauder is that you didn't realize the danger that was always around us. And there's something that I always talk about young people losing their innocence early. It's almost like I'm in eighth grade, somebody doing crack, somebody smoking weed. We watch it. Scarface. Like I, I don't really get a chance to have a childhood. And in your case, you also needed to do, I guess, what's called reverse parenting, parenting in a lot of ways. So how were you able to navigate that? Well, Thank God for grandparents. Thank God for grandma, for big mama, as as we like to say. 
And my grandmother, though she, you know, she had some alcohol issues herself she was dealing with, she was also somebody who I was very close to. And so when my mother, um, you know, my, my mother was going through something or maybe even at times when she might have been on a binge, my grandmother was there to pick up the slack mm-hmm. and, you know, pick me up from school. Um, I, I never, I, I, and I, I don't say this to boast or brag, I, even though it may sound, again, kind of weird to other people, as bad as my situation was, I, I definitely went to school with people whose situation was way worse. Mm-hmm. Where they had mothers mm-hmm. who were strung out, leaving them for three or four days alone at the time. Mm-hmm. That was never my reality. Right. Neither was having the light shut off, no heat. Mm-hmm. Like I never had to go through right. any of that. I was always well cared for. I was always mm-hmm. fed, clothed, mm-hmm. bathed. Mm-hmm. All the basic necessities were taken care of. Now, we couldn't afford to indulge or to splurge on things, mm-hmm. but generally all my basic needs were met. And my grandmother was there to pick up uh, a lot of the slack. With her, I did feel like I could mostly be a kid because uh, that's just how grandparents are. You know, like we go to Farmer Jack's. I know you remember Farmer Jack's. <laughs> yes, and the free samples. <laughs> and the free samples, all right? So we go to Farmer Jack's or, you know, we just hit the neighborhood supermarket or whatever. And, you know, I could throw whatever I wanted to in the cart because that's just what grandmas do. Ooh, and that's awesome. uh, I was really grateful that she was somebody who was there in my life to be a steadying force, even though her and my mother had a very complicated dynamic as well. 